Productions. Algar Productions. Hello? Is anyone here? Do we uh actually have an episode this week? The audience has been here a, a while. See, seem a little restless. Caitlin, what are you doing out there? You're in the line of fire. What is it? Tigers, leopards, cougars, <gasps> bears? Is it bears? Because I know all about space bears, and those guys are they're more sad than dangerous. All bears are dangerous, and we must remain ever vigilant. But you need to get in here now. Oh, all right. You're Sabrina, right? The same. And this is Nate. Hello. Welcome to our hidey hole. What are you guys hiding from? Have you heard? Al and Amanda are working a new radio play. Oh, that should be fun. I enjoyed working on the last one. You naive fool! <clears throat> That's what they want you to think. You, we just met! You see, Sabrina and me, we've been around for a while. We've learned to spot the warning signs to know which way the wind is blowing and when to hold your cards. It's when the wind is blowing. What are you talking about? Al and Amanda are married. Right. And they're writing together. Okay. A good writing partnership is like a marriage. And you know what else is like a marriage? A marriage. It's like magnets of the same polarity. They repel each other. Oh, God. Here they come. Quick, uh, hide behind those carnivorous ferns. Okay, what if she meets Batman You're gonna and write then... Batman without Matt? He'll be crushed. I know. Are you sure you remember how to do the voice? Remember the voice? Remember the voice! Listen here, you ginger-haired quadrinarian. This voice never leaves my side. Or mine now. Not only do I talk the talk, but I also walk the talk. Right. Hey, there's Matt. We have to finish our game of Name the Pancake. I'll meet up with you later and we can get started on that script. I'll get out my thumbscrews and start torturing those metaphors. They think that they're special. That they can write together without fighting. They're not special. This is the Sarcastic Voyage Podcast. Featuring the Sarcastic Voyage unpaid voice acting players. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Ah, uh, hotcakes. Hmm. I mean, I guess, but McDonald's calls their pancakes hotcakes, so I'm not sure if they qualify as food so much as... Slightly soft coasters. Judges? Damn it! <laughs> well, Matt, I guess you won. You're king of the pancakes. You're damn right I am. Guess we better start the show now, huh? Not until we work through the list of pork-based breakfast meats. Well, that is pretty important. Hang on for just a sec, folks. This shouldn't take too long. Do I go first? Nay! By royal decree, the king of pancakes demands the right of first pork naming. <laughs> Thousand pardons, my liege. Make it two thousand. <clears throat> Bacon. Sausage. Sausage. Wait a minute. Patties. I assume you meant links. Well spotted. Uh, scrapple. Scrapple? Oh, trust me, it's a thing. A really gross thing that they make in Pennsylvania. And now the adventures of Nick and Willikins. Terribly sorry to leave you alone with a... 
videotape like so much latchkey parent, but that truly was a matter of some emergency. I'd left my quantum iron on, you see. I'd forgot my quantum head if it weren't quantum attached. Oh, now, where on earth has he gone? I could have sworn I switched the doors off. Hello? Mr. Butler, are you present? In a manner of speaking. Now, what on earth are you doing on the floor in a fetal position? Whilst I applaud your use of the proper English spelling of the word, I'm afraid the pronunciation is still simply fetal. Is it? I'm afraid that's one of those words I've only seen written down. I, I never realized. And that's realized with an S, not with a Z. So your English, then, never would have guessed. In a manner of speaking, in my time of origin, your quaint notions of patriotism and national borders are quite irrelevant. Ah, good. The only thing better than a person from the future is a smug person from the future intent on telling you how you've got it all wrong in the present. You still haven't answered my question? Why are you collapsed in a heap on my floor? I've fallen victim to what modern vernacular would refer to as a truth bomb. I would go so far as to call it a truth Dresden or possibly Nagasaki. Now, now, mustn't mention the war. Faulty Towers fan, are you? A faulty witch now? No, that's one of the sacred commandments in my time. We have a list of them, you'll see. Each one begins with keep calm and. There's keep calm and don't mention the war. Keep calm and keep a stiff upper lip. Keep calm and lie back and think of England and so on. Good Lord, it's as though the entire planet is descended from Master Nick in the future. Yes, that's right. I beg your pardon? Well, not everyone, to be sure, but quite a number of us, myself included. Such esteemed company. Ah, that's quite enough idle chit-chat. Up off the floor, you. You don't even know my name, do you? You truly are a Nick. Good Lord, I've just discovered why I've had such a deep-seated hatred for myself all these years. Oh, it's not that. It's just... In my intensive travels across space and time, exhaustively researching the Nick family, I've met so many servants, and they all seem to... Well, here. Let me show you. There's Wellington. Hello. Worthington. Pip-pip. Wallingford. Charmed. Wickersham. Salutations. Widdishans. Good day. Washington. Greetings. Wilmington. Delighted to make your acquaintance. Wensley Ford. Good morning. And Wimbledon. Anyone for tennis? Right, off with a lot of you. So, perhaps now you can understand my confusion. Perhaps. Now, if only I could get you to understand mine. Well, I'd love to exposit to you a few more pages, but I'm afraid we're running out of time! Here's the long and short of it. You are indeed a descendant of Nick, thanks to time travel. So am I, and so is my brother. I could have used logic to sort that one out, which admittedly would be a first for today. My brother has been running amok in the time stream trying to get his bearings, and I believe his ultimate goal is nothing short of the murder of our common ancestor. Why in the world? Oh, it's that whole recursive loop time paradox thing it drives him mad, and, and he feels that the only way to put a stop to it is to kill Nick and prevent further iterations of the time loop. I can't believe I'm even saying this, given what I've been through and what I've just learnt. But what can we do to help? 
I'm not even sure I know where Master Nick is at the moment. Oh, I know. He's continuing his quest to gain his father's approval by hosting a reality show on the family's television network in what I believe you call America. What would Master Nick possibly have to offer an American audience? Quite a lot, as it turns out. He's become quite successful in the angry British person intimidates American contested subgenre. Cord, Declan? You call this a pizza hamburger? There's far too much pizza and not enough hamburger, except in the place where there's more hamburger than there should be pizza. This crust is barely a bun, the bun's covered in sauce, and there's mustard everywhere. Where do you get off? What's all this then? Nick of Nick Hall. Prepare for a reckoning. We're all now. How do you reckon I should prepare for one of those then? Mr. Aesop, sir, a very big fan. I just wanted to thank you for the opportunity to pitch you some fresh fables. You've broken a lot of important ground in the talking animals teach children lessons field. What's that? Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, talking animals, humans, and occasionally inanimate objects. Anyway, I think I might have one or two juicy additions to the canon. If I may, I'd like to start with a piece I call The Dog and the Thimble. So one day, a dog found a thimble. You like that? No lingering suspense over the title. Let's just get that out of the way right up front. So the dog is like, oh, a thimble. It will be my most prized possession and it will live in my mouth. And with that, he scooped up the thimble and placed it in his mouth. Sometime later, he met a raccoon on the road. Say, said the raccoon, that's a nice thimble you got there, dog. May I hold it in my creepy little paws? The dog shook his head, no, and continued walking on. Later, he met an artichoke. Said dog, might I have a thistle through your thimble? Said the artichoke inexplicably. Again, the dog shook his head, no, and walked away. He walked and walked, passing through a desert, a forest, a second kind of desert, and a volcano. Finally, he reached a windmill and was startled by the abrupt appearance, as if from nowhere, of a drop bear. The dog was so startled, in fact, that he swallowed the thimble and choked to death. The drop bear found this very amusing and went back home to his drop bear friends to tell the story of the stupid dog who swallowed a thimble out by the windmill. The end. The moral of the story is... Pockets. Eh? Huh. Uh, Alright, I guess, I guess that one could use a little work. Um, here's this one. Uh, the bird and the bee. So there's this bird, and it tries to have sex with a bee, and, I don't know, some stuff happens, and probably three things, and then the bird gets stung on its, I don't know, do birds have penises? And, and, and it's on, it's whatever birds have. The moral is, now, it's actually just, don't have sex with bees. Uh, that one comes from a, a personal experience. Don't like that one either, huh? Yeah, and so. I suppose if we're trying to reach children, we might want to go with something a little cleaner. Okay, here's this one. It's it's a sequel to your most popular fable, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Same basic setup. Boy cries wolf once, twice, three times. Why is it always three times? Anyway, long story short, the boy discovers he was the wolf all along. That is going to blow people's minds. Now? Okay, uh... 
How's about I just spitball some basic ideas I still have it gestating, you know? Uh, stop me if any of these sound good. The snake finds his shell. The sloth and the moth. The fox and the cox. The sow and the cow. The bee and the flea. The pig in a blanket. The lion who needed a housekeeper. The ass, the two asses, and the several more asses. Uh, oh, what else? Uh, what else? Uh, there's, there's one where a goose becomes a sheriff, and the lesson is that there's no rule that says that can't happen. Um, uh, well, you, sir, are a tough nut to crack. I have one more, and I think you'll agree I saved the best for last. The fox and the grapes. No, it's it's not the one you did. It's just the same basic players. You see, a fox enters a race with a bunch of grapes. And the fox wins because the grapes don't have legs. The moral is, if you're bad at something, you shouldn't do it. What's that? Uh, you're gesturing. You like that one. No, you don't like that one. That What's that you're... Oh, I'm like someone in the story. Uh, the fox. Oh, the grapes. I see. I'll just, I'll just be on my way then. Sarcastic Voyage has embarked on a modest undertaking to chronicle the entirety of human history in sketch form. Join us as we uncover the mysteries of the past in our ongoing feature, which we call History. It's not as good as it used to be. On November 23, 1963, a monumental event occurred which would inexorably change the shape of the 20th century. For it was on that day that the cult science fiction series Doctor Who premiered on the BBC. Uh, oh, and one day earlier, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. To learn more about this terrible tragedy, we spoke with a number of leading Kennedy assassinationologists to hear the prevailing theories on what happened that fateful day in Dealey Plaza. But if you'd rather learn more about Doctor Who, we recommend the Drunken Time Travel Podcast, available on iTunes and at drunkentimetravel.com. Adele Cosine Smythe presents our first theory. What most laypeople fail to realize is that the Kennedy assassination isn't about the identity of the shooter or shooters or who had a motive to kill the president. It's a simple matter of trigonometry. Were the three bullets found in Kennedy's vehicle fired from trajectories consistent with Oswald's position in the book depository? If we begin by applying Hero's formula, which we use when the lengths of all three sides of a triangle are known, we can calculate the semi-perimeter of the plane figure formed by the cotangent of the projectile. This is, of course, assuming that the bullets in question were frangible bullets, but I mean, <laughs> to assume otherwise would be a preposterous fallacy. Well, I, I mean, we here at the university have double and triple checked Adele's numbers, and, and while they don't, strictly speaking, make sense to us, they are definitely numbers. Of this we can be, like, 
80% certain. But if the bullet struck Governor Connolly along the oblique asymptote, we can obviously rule out a second government because the inverse second must be greater than or equal to 60 degrees, taking into account the RSEC of what must be, by definition, an undefined range of imaginary numbers. Of course, we in the mushroom physics community have heard all about this so-called quadrantal angle theory. But what it fails to take into account is the quantum superposition of Umbrella Man on Elm Street. And no theory on the JFK assassination can leave out Umbrella Man. He's an essential component of the narrative. Naturally, any kind of periodic motion can be modeled using a sinusoid. That's simple harmonic motion, and that's why x equals 10. Because x always equals 10. Are you gonna tell me that the Romans didn't know what they were talking about? Few modern figures have done more to raise the important questions of the assassination than Academy Award-winning director Oliver Stone, who presents us with our second theory. As anyone who's seen my seminal film JFK knows, the president was a target of an elaborate conspiracy involving many of the usual suspects, but also the seedy homosexual underworld in both Dallas and New Orleans. I'm sure I made that quite clear in my film. Didn't I? You think maybe I didn't make it clear enough? Should I be working on a more explicit director's cut that emphasizes the butt stuff? Because I'll do it. You can't stop me. I'll make Blade Runner look like a singular vision. Actors Tommy Lee Jones and Joe Pesci. I'm pretty sure Oliver just made that movie to make his kiss in front of Kevin Bacon and Gary Oldman. I would have kissed any of those gentlemen, regardless of the project. Well, I'd kiss them in any warehouse, farmhouse, henhouse, outhouse, or doghouse. They're all lovely men. Especially Joe here. Oh, I'm lovely? Lovely how? How am I lovely? Oh, thanks, Tom. Theory number three comes from Professor Sonia Papasfritas from the University of Tordovia. There, she serves as political science chair, table, and table extension that you take out at Thanksgiving. The similarities between Presidents Kennedy and Lincoln are too numerous to ignore. For instance, if you count the syllables in Abraham Lincoln, you get five. If you count five syllables into JFK's full name, you get John Fitzgerald Ken. Where's the Eddie? His brother Teddy, of course, who famously drove a car off a pier and into the icy waters of Poocha Pond in 1969. John Wilkes Booth, whose doppelganger John Wilkes tabled for four, was arrested in his place in 1865. And that's why... I believe Booth was the real killer of John Fitzgerald Ken. Hey, Sonia, sorry to interrupt, but do you mind if the Mushroom Physics Department borrows your table extension? Of course. It's always Thanksgiving somewhere. Our next theory comes from late-night conspiracy radio host Aaron Fawcett. Oh, this should be good. I've read all 889 pages of the Warren Commission's report, and there's only one logical conclusion as far as I'm concerned. Lee Harvey Oswald, acting alone, fired three shots at the president's motorcade from the sixth floor of the Texas Book Depository. Obviously. Well, that was disappointing. Here's Jimbus Hatstorm with theory number five. You gotta understand, this country was at a turning point in 1963, like soup night at the cafeteria for one bold man. Post office rolled out a zip code system later that year, which was a real wood stove and a log cabin, I'll tell you what. 
but perhaps a more significant stone in the road to impersonal techno-oligarchy was Ma Bell phasing out the rotary phone in favor of the touch tone. For a solid hour after the assassination, all the phones in D.C. went out. Phones? You think that's a coincidence? That's about as likely as a rebel whistling New York, New York. No, the phone company needed JFK dead. And who better to orchestrate the kill than the president's successor, Lyndon Baines Johnson himself. He had his very own taping system in the White House years before Nixon. And the tapes do not lie. Listen. You can scoff all you want, Senator, but I'm telling you, I lift my beagles straight up by their ears. They love it. In fact, I'll do it right now. Hang on. Now you tell me that's not a happy dog. You're goddamn right. Oh, and that other thing? Yeah, Lady Bird owns Belle. We'll take care of it. You see, clear as a glob of mayonnaise in the sun. Lady Bird owns Belle. Belle Telephone, the phone company. I think he meant Belle Helicopter, boss. God dang it, Jogos. You gotta contradict me right in front of these people like... Like some, uh, Like a paradox ducking down a hole? Yeah, exactly like that. You just move the pieces around the board. Theory 6 comes to us via Lulubel St. Chive, a former record store clerk and current juggalette. So it's 2001, right? The ICP had yet to drop the bomb that was the Wraith, but they wasn't above helping a brother called Robbie Van Winkle, right? You might know my man better as Vanilla Ice. By 01, Ice was struggling for a little street cred, and somehow he managed to snag Chuck D of Public Enemy to help him spit the truth on one of his tracks. Only this was more than spit. Those mother made a truth lawn sprinkler, yo! What you gonna do? That was Elvis Killed Kennedy by Vanilla Ice, featuring Chuck D. This is a song that actually exists. No kidding. Astoundingly, there appears to be some merit to this Elvis theory. Kennedy dies, and his political rival, Richard Nixon, gets to take credit for landing us on the moon. Why else would President Nixon invite the king to the White House in 1970 except to thank him? I mean, it's not like they made out or anything. I wish they had made out. Our final theory originates with forensic druid Susan Leyenscherer. The one detail that everyone overlooks, even the people who coined the phrase, is right there in the Warren Report. Magic bullet. It is my firm and true belief that President Kennedy was assassinated with a literal magic bullet forged by sorcerers who were most likely elves. The bullet was made of a thaumaturgically sound metal unknown to muggles and their science, almost certainly coaxed from deep beneath the earth by expert dwarf miners, of course. The sad irony of it all is that the president could have protected himself if his armor class had only been one or two points higher. A simple suit of chainmail would have fit comfortably under his business suit, and no one would have been the wiser. So what really happened that fateful day in Dallas? Which of these highly disparate and often contradictory theories is correct? We've brought in the one person who can provide expert eyewitness corroboration required to close this case once and for all. 
the ghost of President John F. Kennedy himself. Mr. President. Having heard the theories presented today, I can say with authority that none of them comes close to the actual circumstances of my death. My immortal spirit is therefore doomed to continue walking the earth until such time as this unfinished mortal business is finally resolved. Oh, that's gotta be a disappointment, Mr. President. And for our contestants as well. Perhaps spiritual closure will come someday for our 35th chief executive. But today is clearly not that day. Join us next time for history. It's not as good as it used to be. Good night. Well, I've had about enough of morons and halfwits, dolts, dunces, dullers, and dumbbells. And you, chowderhead yokel, you blithering hayseed, you've had enough of me? Al, why does this sound familiar? It's from Twin Peaks. It's an homage. Stealing dialogue is not an homage. We've just finally broken Matt from stealing from those same three Mystery Science Theater episodes all the time. Don't ruin our good work by being a bad influence. My homages are classy. I was thinking something more like, uh, you know, Now listen here, you puffed-up beaver-victory flashing fair-weather patriot. I don't care if you're President of the United States or President of the Ladies' Auxiliary. In my line of work, if it waddles like a crook, quacks like a crook, it's probably a crook. Call it Occam's razor applied to dark meat. And don't think you can get past me with your staged photo ops and your navy blue windbreaker. Because the second set of footprints was where I was following you. And let me tell you, I didn't like what I saw, Mr. President. This is fantastic. I thought you might like that. You'd get to be Nixon. Let's hear it again. Hey, Pop, why are you holding up a glass to that door? Shh, Al and Amanda are in there working on a radio play. Oh, God, not that. Man in the escape pods, women and children first. I guess that rules you out, then. Damn it, I can't legally buy a drink, but I can die in the crossfire of an audio drama-related domestic dispute. The giant squid came up beneath us unwrapped the boat in its leathery tentacles, and it tightened its grip until the old girl started to creak and groan. And then what happened? I took my trusty axe and leaned over the railing to see its gaping maw gleaming in... Beak. What? The squids have beaks. Look, maw is just a ten-cent word for mouth. It don't make no never mind if it's got teeth or beaks or little suckers in there. That's an octopus. What? The suckers. Only octopus have those. Octopi? Octopuses? Look, who's telling this story? I don't know. I am, dammit. <clears throat> so, I leaned over the railing to see its gaping beak gleaming in the moonlight, and I looked into its deep, deep black eyes. Those dead eyes. And that's when we fell hopelessly in love. That's right, Daddy. And your grandfather and I have been together ever since. Yuck. Here we see Corvus assolinicus, or the common American crow, in its natural habitat, sitting on a power line, watching from above, waiting. Its natural enemy walks below. Stupid crows! Crows rank alongside bottlenose dolphins, killer whales, and river otters as nature's most intelligent creatures, but one important detail sets them apart from their cerebral brethren. Unique to Corvus Asselinicus is their singular ability to be total dicks on purpose. These urban crows are observing a human disposing of his garbage, 
As he carefully sorts the waste into the correct bins, secures the bins, and then leaves the garbage, which he believes to be protected from the likes of them, the crows discuss their options. Listen, I don't like that guy's hair. Makes me sick to the stomach. Don't judge me. I see your beady eyes judging. You ain't no judge. You can't pass a sentence. What? Forget about it. Let's shit on his house. No, focus. I am focusing. No, you're just cussing. Listen, shit for brains. I'll focus and cuss if I want to. You dig? I dig. I'm just saying. Saying what? Why don't we tear up his trash? He'd hate that. We don't even like trash. That's the funny part. <laughs> the murder of crows promptly proceeds to swarm down and rip holes into the prim and proper plastic, leaving in their wake a chaotic, tattered mess that is neither prim nor proper. Remnants of paper towels and used disposable spoons go flying through the wind. A mini cyclone of coffee grounds forms. An indeterminate substance, possibly sour cream, possibly yogurt, but hopefully one of those two things, pools sickeningly at the base of the newly formed garbage sculpture. Satisfied with a job well done, the crows leave their handiwork, returning to their perch to await the return of the human. Hello? Excuse me? Hi. Hello, I'm your next door neighbor. Can I just show you something? Well, actually, I'm... Can you just take a moment from your oh-so-busy life? Yeah, uh, sure, I mean, I only just Great, up, follow but... me. Ta-da! The hell? There's trash all over my lawn. And all over the neighborhood. You know, there are nice people who live in this neighborhood. Kids, tradesmen, elderly artists, and this is simply disgusting. You are simply disgusting and you should be ashamed of yourself. Wait a minute. Are you insinuating that- All the facts add up! I followed the trash trail and it led right to your house. That's some stellar detective work there. You're a real Jessica Fletcher, but these rips were clearly caused by an animal. Probably a bird of some- Crow. You need more bins. Bins with lids, and you should double bag your trash. This was double bagged. Fine. You know what? I'll just clean this up then. Don't you have anybody to help you? I mean, you could- Anyone at all. Apparently not, no. Next time this happens, I'm calling your landlord. Landlord? I own this house. Do you hear me? You can't... And she's gone. Stupid neighbor. Stupid bright son. Stupid garbage. Stupid fucking crows. <laughs> All right, boys. Good job. Now let's go shit on some dogs and follow that other human around for five blocks. I love doing that. Scares the bejesus out of them. <laughs> and so the crows fly off to continue indulging in their uniquely crowish brand of fun. These majestic feathered beasts truly are among nature's most beautiful creatures. And also complete fucking assholes. Scalpel. Scalpel. Forceps. Forceps. Clamp. Clamp. Urethral bougies. Urethral? There, next to the Metzenbaum scissors. These? No, those are the Morgenstern scissors. I thought the Morgenstern scissors were from the sitcom Rhoda. Scissors. Scissors! 
Nurse, there's no place in these hallowed, clinical, meticulously disinfected halls for your Friday night TV land binge gorging. Here your urethral bougies. Nurse, you've got spunk. I thought you said these halls were disinfected. I hate spunk. Hand me the retractor. Retractor. Marco. Polo. Rico. Suave. Akira. Tetsuo. Smug sense of satisfaction? Smug sense of superiority. No, nurse. I said smug sense of satisfaction. Oops, my mistake. That's better. God, I love what we do here. Narcissism? Narcissism. God, I love what I do here. I just love... me. Cigar? Cigar. Groucho Marx impression? Groucho Marx impression. I would not write in any theater that would have me as a sergeant. Chico Marx impression? Chico Marx impression. I'm gonna remove a disease now. Harpo Marx impression? Harpo Marx impression. <laughs> Make that three hard-boiled eggs. Tree falling in the woods? Hmm? What? What? Did you say something? Separate. Nurse, there appears to be a tortoise in the room. It's on its back. Its belly is baking under the surgery lights. Maybe you should turn it over? You mean... Help it? I... Doctor, why aren't you helping that tortoise? Damn it. Well, sir, your replicant surgeon failed, and I'm not qualified to complete the operation or close your gaping, meticulously disinfected incision. Welcome to Warlock Ageddon, now the second largest comics-only convention in Eastern North America. As you may have heard, we are under new management. Consequently, we will no longer tolerate any non-comics-related content at this event. In a related story, apparently I don't work here anymore. Hey gang, this is your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, welcoming you all to Warlock Ageddon, and reminding you of our very strict comics-only policy. Remember, if it ain't comics, it doesn't belong here. We take this policy very seriously. So if you see something, say something. Oh, you hear that, Mr. Fitz? It might sound like 80,000 nerds inching along through almost impenetrably dense crowds, but all I hear are cash registers. You got that right, Mr. Fred. Buying this convention and impairing it down to one specific area of interest was the smartest investment we ever made. Welly, well, well, what have we here? What are you dressed as, small child? I'm Iron Man. I spy that, lad. And tell me, what comic is Iron Man from? Iron Man's from a movie. Don't you know the Avengers? Pew, pew! Oh, dear. You sure he's not from a comic? I don't know. I'm only six. I can't afford comics. Security! Escort this non-comics reader off the premises at once. Hey, what are you doing? Get off me! Such a shame. People really should teach their children to follow simple instructions. We live in a society of laws. Nudie protest art. Get your nudie protest art here. Uh, What's this then? You're not protesting us, I hope. 
Our vendor satisfaction ratings are unparalleled. Well, technically we just took over, so those are the last bloke's numbers. Shh. Oh, I'm not protesting you. I'm selling these drawings of topless women in impossible poses to protest the sort of people who find topless women in impossible poses offensive. That's the spirit. Indeed it is, my boy. I was just saying to my esteemed co-owner here that we should be setting a good example to the young people. What better example than actively asserting your right to free speech? With tits. Precisely. With... As you say... Tits. Capital work here, sir. You keep fighting that good fight. Nudie protest art. Get your nudie protest art. Oi, Mr. Fitz. Yeah, Mr. Fred. It's uh, a wrist row of booze here. The one selling unauthorised pop culture mashup t-shirts, steampunk lingerie and assorted household items emblazoned with, and I reiterate, unauthorised pictures of the TARDIS. None of these are, strictly speaking, Comics related, are they? Well, not as such, no. We're not monsters, Mr. Fred. Ah, exceptions must occasionally be made. A well-placed exception makes the rules that much more clearer. Oh, this wanker now? Excuse me, sir, are you lost? You look much too old to be here, sir. Are you here with your grandchildren? What? No, I'm Stanley. Should we know who that is? Yeah, it's not ringing any bells. Silent Stanley Lieber, president of the mighty Marvel Marching Society. Nope. Fuck all. I'm your freaking guest of honor. Well, that doesn't seem very likely. Uh, name three things you've been involved with this year. Oh, sure, let's see. In reverse chronological order, I appeared in Ant-Man, Avengers Age of Ultron, and uh, the Agent Carter TV series there on ABC. I'm not hearing any comics in that list. Security! Comics? Son, you named the character and I created him, from the ever-loving thing to the mighty Galactus. Get him out of here, boys. Hey, gang. It's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man here again. I just wanted to remind you that Raven Gregory will be signing copies of the highly controversial 13th issue of The Gift in five minutes at the Petty Axe Grinding Pavilion. Wait, wait, wait. That voice, that's one of mine. I created Spider-Man. God damn it, Spider-Man is one of mine. Give me Spider-Man. Such a tragedy. We're trying to run a pleasant bloody event here. Albeit one that rigidly enforces an entirely arbitrary experience dictated by who knows who for who knows what reason. The two are not mutually exclusive, Mr. Fitz. I'm Mr. Fitz. Yeah, Mr. Fred? None of this represents any real-life situations of persons living or dead, does it? Perish the thought, Mr. Fred. Thank you very much, everyone. That's our show. Uh, hey, Matt? Yeah? Who are those three fancy fellows standing just off stage there? Stage left? Stage right, even. Oh, those are my trumpeteers. For earlier. You know, I could just play a sound effect of trumpets. You don't literally need three guys in medieval garb playing long trumpets with flags dangling from them. What the fuck do you mean he doesn't literally need three guys in medieval garb playing long trumpets with flags dangling from them? My kids shouldn't eat. Yeah, Al, since when are you the arbiter of when or if this guy's kids should eat? Uh, You've both cornered me with indisputable logic, and so my only alternative is to beg you three to play on. If you'd like to write to us, the email address is sarcasticvoyage at gmail. The show's website is sarcasticvoyage.com. There you can download episodes, browse our selection of almost 500 sketches, listen to the radio plays and serials we've produced, and download bonus material. 
Are they planning on stopping anytime soon? Not if I have anything to say about it. Carry on, subjects. Your pancake monarch commands it. Safe journeys, everyone! This episode of the Sarcastic Voyage podcast starred Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham with Vishal Baradwaj, Duncan Bosco, Mark Bosco, Dave Fields, Nathan Lajeunesse, Caitlin Obum, Joseph Ravenson, Amanda Smith, Sabrina Snyder, and Jason Wallace. It was written by Ron Algar-Watt with Duncan Bosco, Mark Bosco, Matt Robotham, Amanda Smith, and Jason Wallace. It was produced by Algar Productions, copyright 2015. times are here. Everyone said that Amanda and Al doing another radio play together would end their marriage. And now here it is. Wait a minute. This has nothing to do with the radio play. That's just what Amanda sounds like. Have you never heard Amanda? Look at me. I'm Amanda. And I'm the least graceful person you know. Crash, bang, smash, break. Oh, God, she hurt me. Now the escape pods. Matt's first. 